Today I welcome Andy Faulkner, Prep School Headmaster at St Peter's York in the UK. In this episode, I discuss the benefits of a growth mindset education, blogging and social media for head teachers, plus tackling global issues in the classroom. I want to talk about St Peter's York. So you were recently voted UK Independent School of the Year. Congratulations. What an accolade. Why do you think you were awarded this title and why is St Peter's York so special? Why we got the title, not quite sure, because there's so many schools have done so much brilliant work over the last year in particular. But I guess staff pupils, parents have just really stepped up to the mark and beyond over the last year. And it's just nice for that to be recognised. Yeah, it's been great. What makes Peter special? I think it's the fact that it's a 2 to 18 school, but it has its distinctive phases. So you don't feel like you're in a conveyor belt all the way through, but also you've got all the benefits of being one family being able to see the bigger picture. So yeah, a child might be having a tricky time in a particular year, but you've seen children move through to the senior school and you've seen how it all falls back into place once you've helped them get through that bit, as opposed to waving goodbye to them age 13 or age 11 and, and wondering yeah, what happened to them. York is a very special place to have a school, 10 minutes walk from the centre of York, but to have 47 acres of grounds, you, you've got the best of both worlds. Makes educating children a lot easier when you've got all of that on your doorstep. And then we've just got a massively talented and supportive staff, you know, that really do work incredibly hard and they're, they're up for trying new things um, and they don't sort of roll their eyes when the head comes up with a new cunning idea that he's picked up from a book that he's been reading at half term. <laughs> yeah, I think it's all the different bits of the jigsaw, but um, it is that being one school, seeing the children's education is part of the bigger picture through into preparing them for adulthood rather than sort of thinking, oh, you know, the most important thing is common entrance or SATs or GCSEs or, you know, preparing them for senior school entry. You're able to step back a bit and sort of think, no, actually what we're doing is, yes, we have to prepare them for the senior school, but we're preparing them for the world outside of school. So what does that look like when we haven't got the constraints of the national curriculum, any other imposed curriculum that we might buy into, you know, we can do it ourselves. And it means that in talking to the pre-prep and the senior school, you know, you can basically do what you like and sort of think, why? Well, so if we did this, how would that affect the senior school? And they might be like, oh, well, you need to think about this and this from our perspective. And it's like, oh yeah, I hadn't thought about that. So what if we did it like this? And they're like, oh yeah, that would be great. That would better prepare the kids for us or vice versa. So I think having conversations that allow you to not just look at your age group of the school, but the age groups on either side allows you that luxury of being able to see what you're doing in the bigger picture. I mean, the hardest thing with winning an award or being on top is staying on top. So have you got anything up your sleeves that is going to make you stay there? I mean, we're always looking to innovate, but again, we're also not looking to, you know, just rush headlong down every new initiative that somebody else tweets about or talks about at a conference. I think it's a good thing about being in Yorkshire is, you know, there's a, a steady approach to things. You know, we don't sort of jump in headlong, both feet, we sort of evaluate and look at it first. And that was very much the case with the growth mindset thing, you know, where we did a lot of preparation before we decided to sort of really jump right into it. So the world of technology, that's definitely going to change the way schools work in all sorts of ways going forward. And so just like all schools, we're kind of looking at what that might mean for us and what that might mean from an investment point of view. And I want to explore the growth mindset journey at St. Peter's York. This is something you've been implementing into your educational approach. What impact has this had on your pupils? So we were sort of very early adopters of growth mindset based on Carl Dweck's research. And it pretty much changed every aspect of school life here at the prep school. 
it's a journey that we've not completed yet. That's the whole point of growth mindset is the word yet. I can't do this yet. If you were to summarize, what is the growth mindset? What, what is this? Yeah, so, so our, our view of growth mindset is saying that it's individuals who believe that their talents can be developed um, through hard work, good strategies, input from others. That's having a growth mindset. Having a fixed mindset means that they believe that their talents are innate gifts. I was born good at maths or born not good at maths. So it's basically realizing that through hard work, everybody can get better at everything. You can't necessarily be the best at anything or everything, but you can definitely get better. If you're a premiership footballer, through hard work, listening to others, you will get better. As the worst footballer in the football team, through hard work and listening to others, you will get better. And it's also embracing the idea that if you're not getting things wrong and learning from that, you're probably not really moving forward. So it's embracing failure and seeing it not as something to be frightened or ashamed of, but as being something that actually is valuable. And it's like skiing. You know, if you stay safe, you know, you'll, you'll be a brilliant intermediate skier, but you'll never get onto the black runs unless you risk falling over, you know, and catching an edge and falling over. Or you can say, well, do you know what? I'm happy just on the, the greens and blues and, you know, being able to ski to the different cafes and that's, that's fine. But if you want to take it to the next level and, and find out what's on the back of the mountain, yeah, where all the exciting stuff happens, then you know, you've got to be prepared to make a few mistakes, catch a few edges, do a few head plants. And it's the same in Spanish, in maths, in science, in art, trying to encourage kids that this is a safe place to make mistakes. And that's how you learn. And the old story with the IBM executive who made a massive mistake, it cost IBM £2 million. And he went in to see his boss and he said, I'm guessing you're going to fire me. And he went, why would I fire you? We've just invested £2 million in you. you know, and it's that idea of, you know, you've made a mistake. You're going to learn from it. You're not going to make it again. So why would we get rid of you? you know? And how's the school kind of adapted to this? Obviously, from a pupil point of view and a teacher, because you're going through any amount or implementing change is the human side. How's that journey been and how's it been received? Yeah, I mean, without getting the staff totally on board, you're not going to become a growth mindset school. It sounds melodramatic, but it's true. They hold the key to whether or not it's going to be successful or not. It's because at the heart of it is the language that you use day in, day out, every single day. It's the language that you use every lesson, every break time, in every club, every match, every pastoral team meeting. It's the language that you use. And so children get growth mindset. It's quite innate as a concept to them, but they're also brilliant at spotting inconsistencies, particularly amongst adults. So if the person that's teaching them is just paying lip service to it, they will spot that pretty quickly. Some teachers needed a lot of convincing that words like clever and ability were more harmful than helpful. Some staff will believe that encouraging pupils to compare themselves to others in the class sparks healthy competition. And we have to get them away from that. Some will be used to talking about somebody being the best in the class and they'll be reluctant to let that word go. So that only is quite careful handling. A lot of discussion a lot of clear alternatives that you can use in those different situations. And it takes time. The SLT, they need to have something up their sleeve for every query, a repost for every uh, sarcastic comment. And you need a core of, sort of passionate cheerleaders on the staff who totally have bought into it and want to show what it could look like. Once you've got the staff ready to go, then you've got to try and get the parents on board. And if our experience is anything to go by, that takes longer. If we did it again, we would engage with them earlier on in the process. They grew up in a fixed mindset world, as did you and I. You know, they went to fixed mindset schools. 
even those who have heard of growth mindset because they've read Matthew Syed's book or something like that more recently, you know, you'll still hear them praising their daughter for beating a friend in a spelling test. You know, you sort of think the penny hasn't quite dropped yet. So you can send out all the fancy literature that you've had produced, all the YouTube clips, you know, all the stuff that you like, plaster the walls with messages so you're subliminally drip feeding it in. And they raise awareness, but not necessarily buy-in. So the tough decision is, do you start at the bottom, I don't know, let's say year four, and then they move up into year five. And you know, so it takes however many years, five years before, or do you do what we did, which was you think, you know what, let's just go for it. So Huntington School in York, they started it at the same time, but they, they did the opposite approach. They started with the year sevens, and then as they moved up, so they did it over five years, we thought, if we think this is a great idea, we just need to go for it because the quicker we can embed this, the better. The parents in the top two year groups were the hardest, you know, um, because their children were the oldest, 12, 13. I'm sure some of them couldn't wait till they moved to the senior school in the hope that they were going to get back to some good old fashioned comparison between children. And it's a growth mindset in the senior school? It's different. I mean, I think we put a lot of emphasis in it. We don't use the phrase growth mindset anymore. It's just the way we do it. The idea is that when they move up to the senior school, it's pretty much just the way they work and embedded. And therefore, you know, it doesn't need to be as much focused and talked about at that stage. But again, you still need teacher buying, as you say, you know, to get away from a fixed mindset. And for any kind of amount of change, it's about habit. There is constant training and education that needs to happen. Because it's so easy to revert to type. I always got told this is that we all have a way of doing things. It's almost like our lazy being is that the easiest route is just to revert to what I know, what I feel comfortable with, because I'm not going to make any mistakes and I get it and I'm not stretching myself. Do you think that in a world where, you know, it's 24-7 on devices, that it's becoming harder to be able to settle into and develop things like growth mindset or that kind of way of thinking because we're inundated with too much and I just can't see the wood for the trees. I suppose in school you have the luxury of, you know, they're with you for quite a lot of time in school. And so you're more in control of what they are seeing and hearing. I think from a school point of view, they will come to school and they will listen to it. They'll understand it. The tricky bit is then, do they then take that out into their, their world outside of the school back into the home and that's where they're being bombarded with you know the social media the technology and everything that's out there which there's loads of positives in that yeah it's about preparing them for that world but I think when they're in school and particularly the age range I'm talking about you know eight to 13 year olds they're still prepared to listen to you a bit at that point you know it's different when you're a dad obviously they don't listen to you at all and as they become adolescent teenagers they're a bit more cynical but we've still got them at that age where they're prepared to to, okay you might there might be something in what you're saying I think the growth mindset model and framework is absolutely something that we should be supporting. Teachers, parents particularly, though, it's it's them understanding it. Again, it's just innate that we do judge, but also obviously the academic lead tables, the results you have to get when you get up to the senior school is just something we can't unshackle ourselves from. And that's going to take a while before we see real change in the way that we're taught and we're judged on that. I want to look into your blogging and and other things. Your growth mindset and what you've talked about, how you do this, it's obviously formed part of of a lot of your posts and your articles that you've had on your blog. What inspired you to start blogging? Um, John Thompson, who's the head of Huntington School in York and is part of the Heads, the Head Teachers Roundtable Group. He's had a blog for years called This Much I Know About dot, dot, dot. And it's incredibly honest. He's quite happy to say things that people don't want necessarily to hear particularly about national government initiatives and things like that. 
I know John as a fellow head in York. So I've always loved his. Um, and that's, I guess, what inspired me to start thinking about, okay, well, maybe I could share some of the stuff I'm reading about or learning about in short blogs. So, so mine's called Today I Learned, dot, 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 because blogging sits on easily because, of course, the minute you put something down and put it out there, people are commenting on it, thinking things about it. And, and I think if you took that approach, you would never write anything. You would never put anything out. And for me, you know, learning is all about sharing. It's all about collaboration. So I'm not saying this is what I'm doing in my school and it's perfect and you should copy. I'm more saying I went on a great conference and I heard this person speak and, and then that got some conversations over lunch. And yeah, I'm thinking about this and that or read a really good book and yeah, there were some great takeaways from it and here's what they are. And so a lot of the stuff that I'm blogging about, I'm kind of, it's part of my processing almost, you know, and I'm still working through it. But I'm just sort of thinking, this is interesting, you know, and some other people might be interested. This is almost a way of getting some of my thoughts down on paper, I guess. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. And the thing with blogging, the way you approach it is it's very authentic and it can be. A lot of the time it can be quite contrived where people are overthinking about what do I need to say because it's driven on whether it's reputation, influence, likes, that kind of sense of reach. What determines the topic that you talk about? I mean, often it's what I've been reading recently or come across. Something conversations pre-COVID, I would try in every, every sort of three weeks or so to meet up with somebody for a coffee or a drink outside of education to talk about what leadership looks like in their context. And of course, when you're the head of an independent school, you know, there are a lot of really interesting parents who are working in some interesting industries at quite a high level. So I've been able to phone some of them up and say, you know, I'd love to find out what leadership looks like in the context of your industry. Yeah, could you spare an hour? And are you happy for me just to bring my little black book and just scribble down stuff? And obviously, COVID kind of put a, a stop to that, but I'll start that up again. And so often those conversations would spark something and you sort of think, okay, I hadn't thought about that, but actually that might transfer across into what we're doing in education or as a school. So those would sort of sow the seeds and then you do a bit of Google research around it and sort of find, you do a bit of reading of other blogs and things and then start to pull things together. So from that point of view, it's quite random. It's often just as things come along. I'm more comfortable writing about things to do with, you know, leadership or stuff that's going on in education, because obviously that's what I'm passionate about. And that's, you know, what I do a lot of thinking and reading on. The big reason that I do this podcast is exactly that, because, you know, I'm always, you know, I've been on the circuit. I travel a lot. I meet really inspiring heads. I met you many, many years ago at the conferences and we hit it off, you know, and also I've drawn to you because you have an authentic story. You like to be on social media, which at the time, you know, I'm going back, you know, maybe maybe half a dozen years. It wasn't really the done thing. So why would you have a voice? Why would you be on social media? But I think it kind of plays to your strengths that you will venture and you'll practice what you preach. So you'll be into areas and you'll try Try new things because as a leader, you have to lead by example. You have to try those things and show the way. Have you ever done anything on social media that you've regretted? I remember that there was one tweet that was it was during the pandemic. I can't remember, during a lockdown bit, and it, it was it was something about it was encouraging about you know, how great the kids had been at working out how and problem solving with technology at home and how you know it showed the independence that they were developing. 
And then I got absolutely slammed from some people in the state sector who were sort of saying, you've got no idea what it's actually like when kids haven't got technology at home. You know, you're in a different world and da 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 And it's like, whoa, you know, didn't, didn't see that coming at all. So there was that one. Um, and glasses. If I haven't got my glasses on, you know, I shouldn't be allowed anywhere near my mobile phone. There's been too many times where usually one of my daughters will say, Dad, you do realize that, you know, you've misspelt it. It says something I didn't realize it said or a full stop, not an exclamation mark or whatever. And you suddenly put your glasses on and go, oh, yeah. So I now have a rule where, yeah, I try not to tweet unless I've got my glasses on. My daughters are quite good checkers on me. They're looking at it through the, is he being embarrassing as a dad? Yeah, exactly. Which is a nice filter to have. You know, it's like, why did you say that? And you sort of explain why. And they were like, yeah, but it just sounds corny. And it's like, oh, right, okay. The teenage lens as opposed to the adult yeah. <laughs> lens. And yet the peers who actually you're more interested in reaching find it engaging. I mean, it's interesting that you talk about, you know, typos, grammar, things happen. I always talk about that when we've done social media training. You shouldn't be discouraged for putting a voice out there because it's kind of not accepted. You know, people understand when you do make mistakes, but, you know, they know that it's not a deliberate mistake. It's predictive text. I mean, honestly, the phone changes so much stuff. It actually frustrates me at a point where I just wish it just wouldn't stop being so clever because it's not being clever because it's choosing words that actually I wouldn't use. And then you forget that. And as you say, you put the wrong thing in, but you have control and you'll look at that and go, it really doesn't matter. You, you get the intent of it. It's when you're constantly doing the same mistake, you kind of worry because you're in education and say, oh, maybe, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I haven't spotted any of those. It's also like being clear what you're using social media for, because you, you look at some people and you sort of think, okay, you're using it as a trumpet to show what a great head you are. And you think, great, you know, it's consistent. That's obviously what you've done. Good for you. And then you've got other people who are maybe sort of taking the point of view of, I just want to show the variety of life that goes on in my school, you know, and so I'm doing it from that. Um, others are, you know, I'm using it to be more of a thought leader. So I guess being clear as to why you're doing it. And it may be a combination of all of those. Knowing that then helps you to sort of filter what you're going to talk about. We all have personal views on different aspects, you know, of that and whether or not it resonates or not. The different platforms as well. You know, you see some people who put on Instagram exactly what they put on Twitter. Oh, please don't. Don't even get me down. You know that it's just, I'm just going to... Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then LinkedIn as well. And okay, LinkedIn and Twitter, a bit, bit more, but they're very different audiences. Yeah, they're people who are on them are looking for different things. And I guess it's having... And that's where, yeah, that's where your company comes in, yeah, because you offer all of that insight and training with all the data behind it that backs up what you're saying. Yeah, whereas I can talk about it, what it feels like as a punter, you know, reading it. And so I think in that just doesn't work you know and i can't say why and you can you can say oh, i can tell you why it's laziness and also it's vanity we kind of drift between them and also you know more channels emerge so we end up having to post the same thing all the channels just because we're expected you know from a school point of view from a comms you know you want to get your message out so you know everyone's jumping onto tiktok now and we're kind of going okay just hold on it's an incredible platform but understand your audience are you really looking for likes and reach and views is that really a metric that's important or are you just going because it's vanity? It's like when they go, you know, why are you on Twitter? You know, I get, I get so many more likes on Instagram, but I say you misunderstand the point of it. And it's, it's about trying to tell your authentic story and, and get reach on Twitter. But yeah, I mean, we've got a long way to go in terms of educating the world of schools, but we've started and we'll carry on that journey because to me, you know, our job is to inspire schools to share their story, but to share it effectively.
On your blog, you cover a vast range of topics from racism. Obviously, we had the global pandemic. How much of this do you then bring into the school itself and talk about it so it becomes a currency that you help educate the children at the same time about racism, about unconscious bias? Is that something you do? Yeah, I mean, so I don't publicize my blog internally, so I don't put it in the newsletter or send an email to staff. Yeah, so it's out there, and if people find it, great. Uh, or if they follow me, great. But usually the stuff in my blogs is stuff we're working on in school. It's either stuff that we've been talking about, I've done assemblies on maybe, or I've been talking about in a staff meeting with staff. So there's usually quite a bit of crossover. I'm not using the school as a vehicle to try and push up the blog bits because it just, I don't know, it just doesn't feel right to me. But covering those topics, whether or not they read your blog, it's, a, you know, if you're kind of covering a blog on racism, for example, do you feel that's an important area that we should be sort of teaching children about at prep school? Absolutely. And I mean, that's what the last year has shown is that it's just a huge range of really important topics. You know, so you've got everything from the pandemic itself, mental health and well-being, everyone's invited, Me Too, racism, LGBTQ+, the new relationship and sex education curriculum. If we were to do all of these justice, we'd have to knock languages and science and maths out of the curriculum, probably, you know, because you literally could set up a whole curriculum just covering these really important topics. So they also need to be really carefully handled. You know, staff need a lot of training so that I'm happy that they're going to confidently deliver it and in a, in a sensitive way, that they feel confident to deliver it and to be able to either answer the questions that the children will come up with or to be able to say, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I will look into it and try and get back to you before the next lesson, but I actually don't know. The teacher doesn't have to be an expert in all of these areas because nobody is. So I think we've also found that whilst it's doing an assembly on one of these topics might seem like a really good way of getting the message out to all the children at once, consistent message. It just doesn't really work on areas that are so sensitive as this. It needs to be in smaller tutor groups or mentor groups or classes where the children are able to ask questions because, you know, they've got loads of questions on this. They've got opinions on it, often formed by what they've read or heard online or maybe what their parents have said. So, yeah, it's trying to find the right vehicle to do it sensitively and appropriately and to allow space for questioning. That's always difficult in schools when you've got so much great stuff you want to do. You know, you're also wanting to teach them how to use a defibrillator. You're also wanting to teach them how to cook. You're also wanting to teach them yeah, all these other great life skills that you want them to have. So you have to look creatively as to how can you build into the curriculum, maybe in, in slightly more innovative ways, as well as the sort of you know, the single issue lessons that look at things like racism. And that is difficult from a curriculum point of view. But also, you know, kids have access to all of this information and all of these issues, you know, and they are they're exaggerated and amplified through online and obviously in the prep school, they're not quite on social media, although the age that we know that they are on social media, even though they're not meant to be. How much of a role do the parents play? And do you do much training or support or you know, parent education in trying to keep kids safe? Or is that really a responsibility of the parents to figure out? Um, no, I mean, definitely it's for schools to help with that. I mean, what we found is that if we talk about the online world in PSHE lessons, it's an old person banging on about something they don't understand as far as they're concerned. If we bring in somebody from outside, even if they're look and sound and have the same age profile as me, they'll listen more. 
And then if you bring in somebody like Digital Sisters, you know, who are in their 20s, are speaking the same kind of language as the kids are, yeah, they've got, absolutely got them. So we've definitely found that bringing in people is far more effective. I mean, what we tend to do is that we'll then run a parent session in the evening with the same people where they'll say, this is what we've been talking to your kids about. And as parents, here's some really helpful stuff for you as well. We send out to parents information on, yeah, there's some great online safety network, I think, in the States. They do a really good parent guide for Instagram, parent guide for TikTok, parent guide for Minecraft. Yeah, they've got, they've got them all covered. And they're great. And they show parents how to set up the safety settings. They talk about how it works. They talk about what the, the age banding is. And parents have found those really helpful. I mean, it's important for us, you know, for schools to be stewarding. And that's, again, teacher support, teacher training, because you know, they are stewarding these, these young boys and girls, you know, into, from your school into the senior school, but then from a senior school into adulthood to go out there. And they, they're not, not going to have access to technology. They're not, not going to have access to smartphones and even more technology and, and things. So part of it is I'm like you and I'm a great supporter. I think that there's so many great things. It's an incredibly powerful thing, social media, smartphones, but it's the human side that lets us down. It's because you know, the, the physiological, the addiction side, we're the worst role models, because I think we almost have become so addicted ourselves, is that, you know, I know my kids would often just spot us, you know, I'll just be checking my phone, I don't need to be doing or my wife will be on Candy Crush, or something will happen. But we are actually not living the values that we want, or the models that our children should do. So they get it and go, Oh, well, they're doing it. And we're distracted by alerts. How do we break that cycle? You're absolutely right with the role modeling. Yeah, I find that at home as well. Yeah, where you suddenly say, you know, how long have you been online? You know, and they come back and go, you know, probably about the same as you have, Dad. <laughs> and it's kind of like, yeah, okay, <laughs> ouch. Um, and we might be consuming different things. You know, they might be spending hours on TikTok, but I might be spending hours on YouTube, you know, and some of it is really interesting stuff to do with work or leadership. And stuff is about building my dream sailing boat and, you know, and living an alternative reality on YouTube. And, you know, you sort of think, yeah, I'm learning so much by just clicking on different links on YouTube into you know, areas I didn't really know about. Um, photography. I mean, it's, yeah, there's so much stuff that helps me become a better technical photographer because of YouTube. But it's us controlling the time or the Absolutely. machine rather than the machine controlling us. And I think that's where the big tech companies, we've kind of got it wrong by default settings, is that we want constant notifications of comment of changes. If we can change that cycle where we use it as an enabler and that I can go in there when I need to. So I turn off notifications to most social platforms because it just disrupts my day. And I'd rather go in there when I'm having a coffee and go, Oh, I wonder if what's been going on on Twitter or what's going on LinkedIn or what's going on Instagram. There's times where you'll go in there because you want to go off and learn new things. And I think that's the bit we've got to try and do more of where we take control because the machines are taking over subtly. And, those, and these platforms, you know, they, they have very cleverly, you know, they are designed to be addictive. You know, that's the whole point. They want you to stay on there and they're very clever as to how they do that. So I'm going to come and help you finish building that boat. Where are we going? Round the world. Round the world. <laughs> the hard way. <laughs> uh, which is the hard way? I'm sure there's no easy way. Not through the Panama Canal, down round the Capes, the Southern Ocean. You can join me in the Caribbean bit if you want. I'm all in for that. You know, I, I, talk, I talk with some of my oldest friends. That, you know, we, we kind of grew up before this technology, digital, social side really came about. 
and we do talk about that life you know where would we go next yeah whether it's buying a boat building a boat just being actually distance and disconnecting yourselves from it from the pace of what we have access to what, what i find fascinating is the irony of you, you watch these youtubers who are living off grid you know and yet they spent they talk about how they've spent you know, two days editing and then their last week and you sort of think you're off grid you spent two days in the back of a van or a boat in front of a laptop editing your 20 minute youtube video and you've obviously you know you've got internet connection because you've managed to upload that 20 minute you sort of think hmm I'm, how off grid and simple is this life yeah ex- exactly they're painting painting a different picture because they're all after the likes andy thanks ever so much for taking the time to chat to me today as ever it's been illuminating interesting and inspiring so thank you yeah brilliant great to catch up with you you can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.